Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue on this morning with our series that we've been doing. Have you been enjoying the series so far? Amen. What's the point? What's the point? Amen. <laughs> What's the point? Turn to the person next to you. What's the point? Turn to the person on the other side. Say, why am I here again? <laughs> praise the Lord. What's the point? So to give you a bit of a... Um, to give you a bit of a rehash, it's very good to have Matthew here again with us. Amen. He's missed the last two. I mean, can't you commute down from Lay to come though? No, we know. That's fine. <laughs> Praise the Lord. To give you a bit of a, a recap over what we've been talking about, we know that, um, or I guess people understand that at least on a basic level, Christians are supposed to go to church. <laughs> that boy doesn't need a microphone. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We know that on a basic level, we understand that Christians are meant to go to church, right? That's what Christians do. But the point is why? So, time, so many times it's easy just to get stuck in a tradition, amen? We just, we just go to church. That's what we do. It becomes, can become very traditional, if that makes sense. So why do we go to church? Why do we do services the way that we do it? Why is the church involved in the community? These are the kind of questions we're going to be asking. Praise the Lord. Everyone focus on me. Don't worry about what's going on at the back there. Amen. So the first week we spoke about what is the point of congregation? What is the point of coming together? We are not the only group of people that congregate. Amen. Businesses congregate to discuss sales strategies. I am congregating at my work this coming Wednesday, 7.55. The boss has called the congregation. We call it a meeting, but it's the same thing, right? Sports teams congregate to play a game. Sports fans congregate to watch that team play a game, right? So we understood, we talked about what was the point of coming together. And then the week after that, last week, we spoke about what's the point of the church service. We spoke about how our churches kind of follow this kind of program. We have prayer, then life class, then we have a worship service, then we have the preaching of God's Word, we have an altar call. What is the point of all of these? And we spoke about that last week, how these things that we do, the offering as well as another part of the church service, they're, they're all places where we sacrifice. Amen. We sacrifice in our worship. We sacrifice in our praise. We sacrifice by giving the Lord our offerings. We bring our tithes to God. Right? These are acts of worship, acts of sacrifice, and this is why we do this. And then today, praise the Lord. We're going to move on. I remembered to click the button this time. We're going to talk about what is the point of evangelism. Why should the church be involved in the community? Should the church be involved in the community? Should we just try and set up shop and not reach for anybody? Amen. Why do we try and get people to come to church? And so in this lesson, we're going to examine why the church reaches beyond these four walls. Amen. I've seen churches before, and, and, and you know maybe we'll do it as well, but over the top of the door as you're leaving, it says, you are now entering the mission field, or church service is beginning now, right, as you're leaving, right? Because last week we were speaking about the church service, and the idea is, is not only is it a sacrifice, but it gives us a, a place of security, a place to 
come apart from the world where we are with people who believe the same as us, who love the Lord the same as we do, who can encourage one another and build one another up. Amen. That's the point of the church service. But the church is not here just to build one another up. Hello. Amen. We are not here just because we like this building and we like one another's company, which we do. We're not here just because we've got nothing better to do on a Sunday. No, we're here for a purpose so that we can be equipped and prepared and motivated and encouraged to go out there and take what we've got in here and take it out there. And if that's not what the world needs today, I don't know what else. I mean, for those of you who keep up with the news, you would have seen what happened at Christchurch over just a couple days ago. And that is so horrific and horrible what has gone on there. A terrorist has gone in and, and killed a bunch of Muslims in their mosque. That's not right. It's evil. But the church needs to be out there saying, hey, we can still love you. We can still care for you. We still want to. Jesus died for them just as much as he died for me. Amen. And so the church needs to get out of these four walls. We cannot be insulated and not be affected by what's going on out there. We need to allow it to move us, to motivate us to go out there and share what we have in here with what's out there. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. So do you think it is important for the church to reach out into the community? What ways have you been involved in community outreach? Has anyone here done outreach before? Anyone ever gone out there and handed out tracks? Anyone ever knocked on doors, hung door hangers? That stuff can be scary, can't it? Don't worry. I'm not going to suddenly go, okay, everyone, let's now go. We're going to go out and knock doors. No, don't worry. We're not going to do that. Everyone's looking at me like, please, no pastor. Don't go there. No pastor. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But what type of things should we, doing, should we be doing as a church to help us reach out? Amen? This is what we're going to talk about today. So we understand that church services refresh us, encourage us. We understand that church services give us a sanctuary from the world. And they give unsaved people an opportunity to respond to the gospel. But I guess there is a parable that Jesus tells, which really kind of illustrates what the job of the church is. So we're going to read it this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 13. I'm not going to get you to stand up this morning because I actually want to read all the way through from chapter 1, first 1, sorry, chapter 13, verse 1 through to 23. But if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn there this morning? Say amen when you're there, Matthew chapter 13. It says, The same day Jesus... Well, sorry, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up, because they had no deepness of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
When the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever have not, from him shall be taken away even that he has. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So Jesus is explaining to the disciples here, here's why I'm talking in parables. But then he turns around and he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see these things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Hear you therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and understands it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into the stony places, the same as he which hears the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet, has not he, yet he has not root in himself, but dureth for a while, or endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received the seed amongst the thorns is he that hears the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And so we see here a description of what is the church's job description. Amen? It is our job to be out there sowing the seed. Amen? Okay. I got one person who agrees with me. This means that it's not our job to sit here and look at this and go, wow, this is great seed. This is fantastic seed. We've actually got to do something with it. You know, so often we hear great teaching, we hear great preaching, not just in this church, but, you know, we hear it when we watch something on YouTube or we, we listen to a podcast or something. But what are we actually doing about it? That's the seed. It's our job to take it out there and share it with people, amen. Because the reality is, is that lost people discover the church through the witness of believers. Amen. Now, we have different strategies involved. You know, we, we, we are, we're on Facebook, and we've done some Facebook advertising, and we've got a website, and, and I work with Google to make sure that when someone types in church in Cairns area, our website tries to pop up as close to the top as it can. We, we do all of that, but let me tell you, nothing is a greatest witness as a believer whose life has been changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. When you can walk out there and you can say, my life used to be messed up, but now I've been made whole. I used to make this kind of stupid decisions, and, and now I'm doing this in my life. I used to have no peace in my life, but now I've met Jesus. I've got peace in my heart. Amen. There is nothing more powerful than a testimony. This is what businesses look for. 
That's why businesses love it when people jump on Google and write a review like you should buy your um, kebabs from this kebab shop because it makes the best kebab in the world. Businesses love that. Why? Because it's a testimony. It's someone who has experienced it before and gone, that's worth having. That's what the church's job is. It's to get out there and to say, hey, everything that's going on at Hope Divine Pentecostal Church, it's worth being a part of. I've tried it. It's exciting. Jesus is good. Jesus is here. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Why? Because he's had a relationship with me. Amen. That's our job as sowers of the word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, how are Christians doing in this area, though? There was a survey that was done in 2005 of people who considered themselves Christians. Now, I'm not talking just necessarily Pentecostal Christians, but just anyone who said, yeah, I'm a Christian of whatever color or stripe that might be. They did a survey. And of those people that they surveyed, only 55% of the responders had shared their faith at some point in time in the last 12 months. Just let that sink in for a second. Only 55% of Christians share their faith every 12 months. At least once in 12 months. While 78% have offered to pray with someone in a time of crisis and 74% claim to use a separated lifestyle as a means of outreach, less than half of the responders had actually invited somebody to church. Think about that. So people might know that you are a Christian because you said, well, let me pray for you. Or, you know, I'm here to help you. But has that actually translated to where they've said, hey, I'm here to help you. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Come along to church next Sunday. Right? Less than 55, less than 50%, less than half. Only 11% of responders presented somebody with a need for repentance. And we understand what repentance means, right? It's a conscious decision to turn away from a life of sin, to turn away from a life of living for the world and say, right, I'm going to live for Jesus now. I'm going to dedicate my life. Less than 11% had actually told their friends, hey, the reason why your life is in chaos is you need to repent. You need to turn your life around and start walking for Jesus. It's interesting when we think about it, isn't it? So some churches have responded to this trend by changing the focus of the church. Instead of focusing on traditional outreach efforts, they have started focusing on community service events and things like that. And there's nothing essentially wrong with that. And, and methods do change. You know, I am, I am actually not a big advocate in this day and age of going door to door and door knocking on things anymore. Why? Because there's already churches out there that do that. We think of um, some of the other organizations that show up and they offer Bible studies and knock on your door. And how often do you see them just going door to door and nobody talks to them? Plus, we live in quite a dangerous day and age as well. Amen. So people are quite, um, what's the word I want? People are very nervous about people knocking on their doors. You know, the world has changed, hasn't it? I mean, you know, I've... Some people live next to their neighbors and they don't even know their neighbor's name. Right? There's just we, we live very isolated lives, mostly through, you know, staying on Facebook and having our Facebook friends. We don't necessarily talk to our neighbor that often. Amen. So the world has become a, a much more um, 
not secluded, but everyone kind of lives in silos a lot more than what they used to, amen? And that's, that's made it very difficult. Praise the Lord. So the question is, is what is the correct way to reach out? How should we be reaching out? What is the purpose of reaching out? To lead people to repentance? To pray with people? To meet the physical needs of people? I think all of these are correct. Amen? These are all things that we ought to be talking about when we talk about reaching for people. So the first thing we'll talk about is believers are commissioned to call sinners to repentance. Let's go to the Bible, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, say amen when you're there. It says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance. Amen. Let's look at the book of Acts chapter uh, 17. Acts 17 and verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, or in other words, He kind of just ignored it, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Right? So God is calling people to repentance. That's what God's doing. He's calling them to turn away from their lifestyle, to turn away from their life of sin, to turn away from living for the world, and to come and live for Him. It's our job as a church to tell that people that message. Amen? We are commissioned to tell people they need to repent. We see the early church certainly fulfilling this commandment throughout the New Testament. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, excuse me, it says, John the Baptist baptized people unto repentance, declaring that they should repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, Jesus repeated the same commandment. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter commanded the multitude to repent on the day of Pentecost. Amen. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Peter and John commanded a crowd gathered in the temple to repent. Right? So over and over again, we see that this, the early church is engaged in this idea that you need to repent. You need to turn your life around. You need to start walking towards God. You need to start making Him your priority. Amen. In Acts 20, verse 21, Paul commanded the Ephesians to repent. Right? It's over and over throughout the early church. So repentance, by definition, is more than just acknowledging sin. Amen? It's a conscious decision to turn away from sin and to pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? We know where that word repent comes from. I'm sure I've explained it before, but it's an old military command. When a soldier would come walking past in their ranks, when the commander would yell out, repent, the whole platoon or squad or whatever you want to call it would turn around 180 degrees and begin walking back the other way. Amen. It's the same thing when we consider this call to repentance that God wants us to spread outside those walls. The same thing is that the world is marching in one direction and the church is there saying, we need to repent. You need to turn around and walk back in the complete opposite direction to the way that you've been walking. Does that make sense so far? This is pretty, pretty basic stuff, isn't it? 
But the point is, is that that call to repentance does not just need to be confined within the church. But when we're out there talking with people, when the opportunity comes up, we need to encourage them. You've got to turn to God. You've got to start making Him your priority. You've got to start walking after Him. You've got to start obeying His Word. Amen? Because that's what's going to make a difference in people's lives. See, getting people to admit their sin is not the goal. Let me just put that in there right now. Getting people to say, oh, yes, I'm a sinner. That's not the goal. That's not the end game, right? The point is, is to say that Jesus is a merciful God. That Jesus has a plan for your life. That you don't have to be stuck in sin. You don't have to have everything going to chaos in your life. But if you turn to Him, He's actually going to accept you. He's actually going to forgive you. He's going to help you. He's going to be there for you. Amen. He's already paid the price for your repentance. Amen. Praise the Lord. And, and I see this happen a lot in the church. Particularly, let me, just, let me just talk a little bit about backsliders. You understand what I mean by backsliders, right? These are people who are living for God, and for whatever reason, they turn around and they, they leave, leave church, they leave God, they start living in the world. And I think every one of us has perhaps friends or family members who used to be in the church at one stage. They were committed to God, or on fire for God, and for whatever reason, they've left. The message to them does not need to be, oh, what a horrible person you are. How can you ever come back to God? No, the message needs to be that Jesus still loves you. At any point in your life, if you want to turn around and come back, God is going to welcome you. God is waiting for you to turn around and come back. But as a church, we need to have that same attitude that Jesus has. Amen. Hello? Because people will come in those doors who used to be in this church, and it's going to be very easy to say, well, well, here they are again. I wonder how long it'll be till they leave. That is such a wrong attitude to have, amen? That's not the attitude that Jesus has. The Bible says that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. It doesn't matter if they're a backslider. It doesn't matter if they're completely unchurched. It doesn't matter if they've come from another religion. The attitude in the church needs to be, this person has repented. They are answering the call of God on their life. So we need to support them. We need to love them and care for them, amen? Praise the Lord. So we're there to call people to repentance amen when the apostles called people to repentance they also encouraged them that there was a god who would forgive them and give them the strength to change that doesn't mean that it is our job everyone get your finger point it at yourself okay it is not my job to straighten sinners out i'm being serious because i have heard stories of people who have come into church, first service, never been in church before, don't know hardly anything about God. And God calls them and tugs on their heart, and then maybe they come to the altar and they repent and they're crying. and like, wow, what an amazing experience. And then someone comes to them and says, well, now that you're living for Jesus, you better not drink any more alcohol or smoke any more cigarettes or do any of that. It's not your job. <laughs> Hello? It is not our job to straighten people out. Our job is to say, hey, come and meet Jesus. It's His job. He will straighten them out by the power of His Spirit. The Bible says that His Spirit leads and guides us into all truth. And that means I want a church where everybody is at different levels in their walk with God. Some people have just come to God. Some people will have been living for God for years. Others will have been living for God for a couple of years. 
The point is, is that as a church, it is not our job to straighten people out. Our role is to show them that Jesus offers salvation. Amen? Someone say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. It is our job to publish the fact there is a way of salvation. There is a place you can go to get forgiveness. There is a place where there is a church that loves you and cares for you and wants the best for you. That's our church, amen? Praise the Lord. That's what we want. That's what we need. So we call people to repentance, but it's not a, well, you need to repent because you're a horrible person. It's you need to repent because Jesus loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And then let God work through that process in people's lives. Praise the Lord. So let me ask a question. What is your personal approach to witnessing to others? How uncomfortable are you about talking to others about Jesus? It can be really confronting sometimes, isn't it? To, to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, especially in, in today's society. You know, I was talking with, talking with Sister Janie. We were just talking about all this stuff that's happening in Christchurch and all that. And, and what I see is that society is moving further and further and further apart. You know, the, the, the far right is, seems to be moving even further right. And the far left seems to be moving either further left. Right? And it seems to be causing even more friction and more chaos. And, and, and people are branded, you know, with everything that happened um, with the court case for, for um, Cardinal Pell. Right, and everything that happened with him. I had people on my Facebook saying things like, well, you know, that just goes to show what Christians are like. We should lock up all the pastors and burn down all the churches. Like, wow, talk about making a gross overstatement of, uh, of consequence. Amen? But that's the kind of mentality that is out there, which means when you go to someone and you go, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, I'm a Christian. You don't know what kind of response you're going to get these days. Amen. So how uncomfortable is it sometimes to share that? Why can it be hard to begin the process of sharing your faith? I'm wanting us to be introspective this morning, to look inside and go, okay, well, do I really struggle with this? Do I struggle with sharing what I believe in? What is a way that I can share what I believe in without feeling nervous or worried or feeling like someone's going to beat me up? Amen. Because, you know, you have seen people out there, of course, that, that witness in ways that I would not encourage. Right? They get out there on the esplanade and they just grab and collar the first person they can catch and go, you're a sinner. You need to repent. Get yourself to church. That person's never going to darken the door of a church. Amen. So we need to talk about how do, we, how do we reach out. Let me tell you what I think is probably the best way to reach out to somebody. First of all, live your life as a Christian. Amen. Let me just stop here for a second. 
most people should see something different in your life. They should see that you act different, that you have a different mindset, a different heart, a different attitude. They should see that you don't necessarily go places that other people go, right? There should be something different about you. You're still in the world. The Bible tells us this. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. Amen. If people look at you and they look at someone in the world and they can't tell a difference, there's a problem right there. Amen. There needs to be something in our conversation, our lifestyle that stands out and says they're a Christian. So let me tell you what I think is the best way to reach out is this one. When someone comes and says, oh, I'm having such a horrible day. Just say, hey, can I pray for you? Or would you like me to pray for that? You will find that most people go, yeah, that would be great. Most people don't mind that, especially if they know that you're a Christian already, right? And I use this as well, and I've actually changed it in recent, in recent years because I used to say, you know, so Brother Matthew comes up and says, oh, I'm just having a horrible day at late today. You know, the factory burned down. And I'd say, <laughs> I hope it doesn't. I'd say, well, let me pray for you. I'll pray about that for you, right? And then I'd go away, and maybe at some point in time, I'd, I'd, I'd pray about it. But what I've learned is that when someone says, yeah, let's pray about it, I say, well, how about we pray right now? There's something powerful about the immediacy of saying, well, let's pray right now. Someone says, oh, I'm ha just having a shocking day. My cat died this morning. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Did you want to pray about it? Yeah, that would be good. Okay, let's pray right now. Sorry about your cat. <laughs> Amen. Pray about it. We reach out to people when you pray for them. There are many occasions in the New Testament when, uh, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament when the early church prayed for people or on behalf of people who were non-believers. Here's a couple of examples. Peter and John, on their way to pray, came across a lame man at the gate beautiful. They prayed over him and he was healed. Now what would happen if, if they came and, and they worked past and the guy said, give me some alms. They said, well, we don't have any money, but we're on our way to the temple and we'll pray for you when we're there. Do you think he would have been healed? I don't think so. But there was an immediacy of faith that said, well, Peter's like, well, I'm going to pray for you right now. And in the name of Jesus, he was healed immediately. Amen. There's something about the immediate response of faith and prayer when you're reaching out to people. In Acts chapter 5 in particular, the disciples did many signs and wonders while praying with people. And that inspired people to believe. These were people who were not believers. But they saw that these disciples, these apostles, they had something inside of them that was different. They were willing to pray for people. And when they prayed, God moved. Amen. Praying over others is important because there is power in prayer. James tells us, I think this book of James tells us, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. There is power in prayer. So I take it very seriously when someone texts me or someone calls me and says, you know, can we pray? I said, well, let's pray right now. And I will try and pray right then unless I happen to be in a meeting with someone or whatever. But you get what I mean. It's the immediacy of prayer that is important. It is through prayer that many experience the power of God for the first time in a genuine way. Many people don't know what it's like to experience the power of God. You know, they might have heard stories or they've read stories in the Bible or they've heard rumors about how people have been healed. But when you pray for someone, it is an opportunity for them to experience the power of God in their life in a way that they never have before. Amen. 
That's why it's important. But here's the other thing. It also shows the heart and the character of the believer. You know, I think in this day and age, we are becoming more and more desensitized to things that happen in society. Amen. There's so many bad things happening. You know, I remember when that earthquake happened in, in Haiti. Uh, must have been about five, six years ago now. Hundreds of people died, you know, just in this last week. I mean, what's happened just this week? We had that airplane that crashed in Ethiopia and 157-something people died. And, and then we had this thing that happened in Christchurch. And, and, and in the Philippines, apparently, there was a Christian church that was shot up by a gunman. And, and all this kind of stuff happens, and, and we become desensitized to it. But when you say to someone, can I pray for you? What happens is you are beginning to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit begins to work through your heart and it softens you. And it makes you feel empathy for this person. You begin to feel what they're going through. And what happens is they experience that you actually do care for them. That you actually do love for them. And what other greater witness can we have for the church than having people out there who are actually demonstrating the love of Jesus through their actions, through the words they say, through the actions they take by praying for somebody? Some people have never experienced that kind of love before. Some people have never experienced that kind of empathy before. They don't want to know what it's like. But through the power of the Holy Ghost... We can share that with others. Amen. Asking to pray with someone can also lead them to a conversation about Jesus Christ. It gives us an opportunity to witness. You pray for someone and they feel something. You see tears begin to fall. They say, wow, what was that? Well, that wasn't me. That was Jesus. Because I believe when I pray in the name of Jesus, He is here and He can help. Amen. Would you like to come to church and find out more about Him? See what I did just there? But when you've prayed for someone and God's power is present, that's when the door is open. That's when you can share your faith. Amen. Other times people may ask us to pray, but they don't want to share their situation. That's okay. We can still pray for them because the Holy Spirit knows all. Amen. And we can pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and God can still minister. And God can still, I pray for people up here who don't tell me what they want prayer for. They'll come up and they say, well, pastor, I just need prayer. Do you want to tell me what? No, I just, it's just prayer for something going on in my life. Okay, well, we'll pray. I don't have to know. God knows. Amen. We reach out to people to connect them with Jesus, and that is the point. When we offer to pray with someone, we're not saying, hey, I'm someone special. When I pray for you, God's going to do something. No, no, no. We're nobody. We're just God's kids. We're His servants. Amen. But when we pray for somebody, it gives Jesus the opportunity to work. And we're not connecting them with us. What we're doing is we're being the conduit by which they can connect with God. Amen. We are the conduit that allows them to experience the power and the presence of God in their life in a way that they never have before. That is the power of prayer. Amen. Now, we also find examples... Talking about reaching out, we also find examples of the early church meeting the needs of others in the New Testament. Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, reached to people's physical needs. In addition to their spiritual needs, he fed 5,000 people. He healed the sick. He unstopped deaf ears. He opened blinded eyes and more. Amen. Amen. 
Early believers in Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, it tells us that the early believers, when they met together, they sold amongst they sold their possessions to meet the needs of others. They shared what they needed. Amen. If anyone's got a block of land they want to sell, <laughs> we need a new building. Praise the Lord. <laughs> But you see what I mean. A recurring theme of the epistles. Let's look, let's, let's look at this. Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Or in other words, throughout the epistles, there's this understanding that we should give to one another. We should give when there is a need. Amen. When there's some, some appeal that comes through because something's happened somewhere, we should be willing to give. We should be willing to support. Amen. Because that is what the Bible says. But, big like caveat on this, look at this. If we only reach to people's spiritual needs while ignoring their physical needs, it is difficult to bring them to a point of accepting the gospel. Amen. But the same is true. The, the reverse is true. If we are only meeting physical needs, but not pointing them to their spiritual needs, we're also not doing our job. Amen. There needs to be a balance there where the church is here to help people who are in need, but we are also here to connect people to Jesus Christ. Amen. If we're not here to help other people, we have no heart. It's not a church that loves. We've got to help one another. Amen. But at the same time, if all we are here is to be a charity and provide meals for people and houses for people and clothes for people, we might as well shut up shop and become, you know, St. Vincent de Paul. Amen. We become a charity. Amen. And so as a church, we've got to make sure that we're in this middle ground where we're helping where we can help people and we're reaching for people spiritually as well. Amen. It's an important balance to have. We can talk about the love of Christ, but it means nothing until we put that love on display. Someone say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. So in the parable of the sower, there were four types of ground. There was good ground, stony ground, thorny ground, and the wayside. The emphasis on the par of the parable is on the ground, amen? When Jesus begins to explain the meaning of the parable later in the chapter, he explains it from the vantage point of the ground, amen? We know the seed is good, amen? The seed is the gospel. The seed is the good news, the seed is what changes people's lives. The seed brings salvation to all who hear it and choose to receive it. Amen. That's God's word. We understand that. And if we have prayerfully sought direction from the Lord and we are living our lives surrendered to Him and we're living our lives righteously and living for God to the best we can, amen, then the sower is not the problem either. Amen. Have you ever noticed? When I'm closing in prayer, I will pray and say, Lord, lead us to people who need to hear from you. That's asking God to drink. I don't pray that lightly. I pray it every week because I want every single person in this building to be engaged with reaching people. So you better be ready because someone's going to come across your path and you're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we know that the seed is good. 
if we've sought direction from the Lord, then we know the sower is not the problem. And so the sower's responsibility is to sow as much as we can. The one thing we don't have control over is the ground. Amen. In the parable of the sower, it was the ground that was held accountable, not the sower. If we're out there sowing everywhere we can, God is going to bless our effort. Amen. Our role is to reach out. But that does mean that we may face rejection. It's going to happen. Jesus warned us it will happen. His instructions to the disciples was very simple. If they accept you, wonderful. Abide with them. In our contemporary context, that would mean be their friend. Amen. If you're reaching for someone, if you've got someone in your mind, even right now, that's saying, I wish this person would come to know Jesus. Your first step is be their friend. Just be a friend. Be there for them. Amen. Be a friend. Eventually, you'll get a chance to teach them a Bible study. It'll come up. Amen. And then do it. Teach them a Bible study. If anyone ever wants Bible study material, I've got tons of material. I'll give you material to teach a Bible study. Amen. To your friends. Praise the Lord. But if they refuse you, move on. If they refuse, just move on. Amen. There's people in my life, in my circle of um, influence, who I know, flat chat, will never come to church. They are absolutely anti-God. Right? These are the kind of people that tell me, you know, we should just lock up all the pastors. That would solve all of life's problems. Right? I know they're never going to come to my church. Amen. I've sown the seed. I've found it's just wayside. But that's not my fault. And that doesn't mean I'm going to stop sowing seeds. I'm going to keep working at it. Amen. Many people struggle to reach out because they are afraid of rejection or because they feel they are failing God because they have no results for their effort. But it does not matter. It is not your job to provide the results. I think Paul wrote it when he said, you know, Paul waters, Apollo plants or Apollo planteth. Poor waters, but God brings the increase. It's God's job to make sure that, that seed takes root and takes growth. Amen? People are not rejecting you. They are rejecting Jesus. And that's the reality. When you share the gospel, people aren't rejecting you. It's not a judgment on you. They're rejecting Jesus. That's what they're rejecting. Amen? Amen. We may hurt for the lost and for those who reject the truth, and we should. We should, mind you. We should never have an attitude of, well, well, bless God, they told me they didn't want to hear about me, so psh, I don't need them anymore. No. We still should hurt and pray for people who have even rejected the gospel, amen, because who knows what might happen. But Jesus tells us that eventually we shake the dust off our feet and we move on. We find somebody else we can share the gospel with, amen. Jesus has called us to reach the world, and if we keep sowing the seed, eventually... It will find good ground. And that is the point of reaching out. It's to connect people with the gospel. There is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people out there in Cairns. Thousands of people. Some of them we're never going to be able to reach because they have, for whatever reason, flat refused to know God. That's not our problem. But just as there are thousands of people like that in Cairns, there's also thousands of people out there with good ground who are just waiting for someone to come along with a word of life and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, you know, I've been thinking about getting back to church, but I just don't know where to go. Or I just, do you, do you think I'll be welcomed there? Do you think, you know, I I've, haven't been for so many years. That's good ground. 
And that's what we ought to be looking for. Amen. We keep sowing that seed, sowing that seed, sowing that seed. Our responsibility is to only be the vessel through which this happens. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? I guess if I could sum everything up, our job as a church is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and make ourselves available to call people to repentance, to pray with them, to meet their physical needs. And when we do that, we open up the door to the gospel. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why don't we just close our eyes? I want to go to the Lord in prayer for a few minutes here. Here's what I want you to do as we begin to pray. We all have contacts, friends, people we know in this city. Maybe it's a loved one who's, who's walked out and, and hasn't been here for a while. I want you to make a commitment as we pray. Ask God to bring that person to your mind right now. And I want us to commit that sometime, some way in this week, we'll reach out to that person. We'll just try and tell them, hey, Jesus loves you. Is there something we can pray about for you? Let's pray together right now. Pray for this person that's in your mind right now. Precious Jesus, Lord, I thank you for this day, oh God. Lord, you have called us to reach out, Lord God. That is the point.